Upon the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Welcome to all of you who are joining us today. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator, and I will be taking questions from the audience um, as we uh, begin this presentation. So uh, if you are in our live audience, go ahead and give us those questions, and if you're listening uh, later, please um, post your questions um, underneath the chat box. There is, um, as the shows are re- recorded and put on our show page, which is, um, you can find it very easily by going to the ultimate um, homeschoolradionetwork.com and clicking on the current issues in the Constitution class. Uh, with a very handsome picture of my brother-in-law here. <laughs> um, it will take you right to that class. I, he's going to differ with me, but I'm not going to let him talk. And then at the bottom of the page, you'll see um, the current show that is available. You can click on that link, and underneath that box, some of you may not know, uh, there is a place where you can comment. So I'll try to remember to check that, or you can email me. Uh, Felice at MediaAngels.com, and I will keep a list of those questions um, as they come up that you would like to ask uh, Professor Wilson. So welcome, Professor Wilson, uh, to the class, and I know you have a lot that you want to get to, uh, so I'm going to let you go ahead and get started, and then as we get questions here, I will jump in and uh, begin asking them. Thank you, Felice, and let's get right into it. Since we talked last week, not much of anything has really happened except that the media chorus has basically changed its tune. Do you remember, oh, two, three weeks ago, how the media was shouting that uh, shut down those nasty Republicans in the House of Representatives? It's, it would be, they use words like terrible, awful, and devastating and put out dire stories of what could happen to Social Security uh, uh, recipients, how hospitals would close down, the military would come to a standstill, Homeland Security could no longer protect us, all these kinds of things. And, of course, as they approached it, uh, they began to change their tune, and they began to call it a partial shutdown, and then it was a slim down, And now they're not saying anything of that kind at all because most of the government is still up and running. And the um, uh, agencies and personnel that have been furloughed, I heard one agency director, I I didn't catch the name of the agency, but they had furloughed 20,000 workers. And um, the lady, the department uh, head, said that we have furloughed non-essential workers. 
And I thought, well, if they're non-essential, why do we have them, and why, why are we, the taxpayers, paying them salaries? And is this, is this true of all the agencies? You know, there's about, oh, 3.2 or 3.5 million people working for the federal government. It's the largest single employer in the world. It is huge. It is enormous. And based on things I have seen and read over the last several years, I would estimate quite honestly and objectively that we could cut approximately one-third of the federal government workforce and not lose a thing. Other areas of overspending could be cut. We could cut those departments, the funding, by 50% without losing anything. So the media has changed its tune. Uh, here we are in the ninth day since we talked last of, well, it's not a shutdown anymore. It's not a partial shutdown anymore. What it is is a standoff between the Republican majority in the House of Representatives versus the Democratic majority in the Senate and the president and his White House staff. It is a standoff. And it's going a lot longer than anybody really thought it would. Now, just keep in mind, generally let me sum this up, that Republicans want spending cuts. They want to cut government. They want to cut government spending. They want to eliminate the annual deficit. And they want to start dealing with First, slow it down, then stop it, then start paying it off the national debt. Now, that's the next issue coming up. In eight days, I believe, on October the 17th, Congress will be asked to raise the debt limit once again. Now, I keep doing that. It's been raised about 80 times in the 20th century. And it's being raised more often now because of the tremendous annual deficits that President Obama and his Congress have run up, I mean, a trillion dollars a year, and each of those deficits is added to the debt, and so it is getting out of control. Now, I heard um, Speaker of the House John Boehner, representative from Ohio, who was chosen by his peers to be the Speaker of the House. He has enormous power and influence. And he said in answer to a reporter's question, hey, he said, we don't have the votes to raise the debt limit without cutting spending. The people want us to cut spending. I saw a poll just this morning by Gallup that showed that 62%, I believe it was, maybe it was higher than that, 62 or 67% of the American people agree with Republicans in the House. We should not raise the debt limit without cutting federal government spending. So Republicans are looking good on this issue, this issue at this point. Now, the media was saying two or three weeks ago that the Republicans were going to self-destruct. The American people would turn on them. Wrong. The American people are supporting this, this effort. So that's another issue that is related to the uh, budget and the, the standoff on the budget. It is related, yes, because Republicans want to cut federal spending, they would like to cut or freeze the Affordable Care Act, which is another entitlement program that's going to go crazy. It could end up, it probably will end up being the biggest of all the entitlement programs that the federal government 
is operating. And, you know, the, the thing that just really frustrates me as a citizen of the United States with children and grandchildren and somebody that has paid I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes over my lifetime. It is really frustrating that these guys cannot get that under control. And it is even more frustrating to me that all of these entitlement programs, which are taking up more than 70% of the federal budget, are unconstitutional. And you simply, that you cannot disagree with that. Let's take a look at the Tenth Amendment right now. Open your constitutions to Amendment 10. Now, I know we've talked this, about this before for those of you who had um, history two years ago in government last year. But I just want to get this back fresh in your minds. And this is something that the American people need to be told about. I don't even hear Republicans talking about this. I think the people in Washington, D.C. are afraid to talk about the Tenth Amendment because Republican or Democrat, if the American people really knew and understood what they are doing, I think uh, the vast majority of them would lose their seats in the next election. Okay, you're there by now. And it says simply, the powers not delegated to the United States, that means the federal government, the the judicial, no, excuse me, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states. So the Constitution does not say that the federal government can spend money on social questions and social problems. It's the state's job. The Constitution does not say the states cannot do that. So going by those first two phrases, the federal government is not given that power. You can go to Article 1 and Section 8 and spend the rest of the day in that section searching and searching, even with the magnifying glass, and you won't find it any place. Nor will you find in Article 4 any denial of operating what we call entitlement programs to the states. It is a state initiative that the federal government has usurped beginning with the New Deal back in the 1930s, Great Depression era. And they've been adding to it ever since. The Affordable Care Act is just one more entitlement program. Now, having these entitlement programs means a great deal of power. It means a great deal of votes, a great number of votes. It means re-election. Just keep the money coming. And the American people, it's one of the fallacies of public education, the American people don't know the Constitution at all. I was talking to a lawyer recently, and that's not only the American people. I was talking to a lawyer, and um, I was talking about a Supreme Court case that every American should know about, and he didn't know what I was talking about. It was Brown versus the Board of Education, one of the greatest landmark cases in United States history, and this lawyer had not studied that. It's like it's like somebody somewhere somehow is is diverting our attention away from the Constitution and into matters of politics and political persuasion. So, if we really truly applied the Tenth Amendment 
to what the federal government is doing right now and has been doing for several decades. We would say, wait a minute, we've got to get rid of these programs. We've got to go back to the Constitution. And we start sending those programs to the states over a period of time, phasing gradually. We don't want the people that have become dependent on those programs to suffer. So gradually we send them back to the states, and the states can have them or they can drop them. It would be up to each state to decide, like it was before the New Deal. So that is another consideration. Now, these entitlement programs are driving those that national debt. I didn't get a chance to check it this morning, but I checked it yesterday. It was $16.96 trillion. It will hit uh, $17 trillion probably tomorrow. And it's just growing with tremendous speed, about $3.5 billion a day. So that's the real problem, the entitlement programs. And like um, John Boehner said this morning, we do, we do not want to keep raising the national debt and to send, send, the bell, send the bill to the next generation, to our children and our grandchildren. So essentially that's where it is now. Now let's get more specific by looking at your questions. Okay, very good, very good. And that was a good recap, um, Woody. That I think that really sets the stage that, um, you know, and goes perfectly with these questions. So um, Anne asks uh, that the president had a press conference yesterday, and he talked about um, that raising the debt ceiling would not raise the debt, and that was confusing to her. So what did he mean by that? That's what she wants to know. Well, it simply means that if they raise the debt selling ceiling, uh, right now it's at $17 trillion, I think. And if they raise it to $19 trillion or $20 trillion, just that act of doing that does not raise the debt. It just raise, raises the debt limit or how much Congress can spend over the, the revenues that they have coming in. But what he didn't say is that the national debt is rising by $3.5 billion a day, and it is going to rise whether they raise the debt limit or not. If they don't raise the debt limit, then the government can't pay its bills. And so the media is already out there, disaster, disaster. In fact, they're saying that the stock market is going to crash, the whole economic system is going to totally collapse, the world economy will totally collapse if, Republicans don't raise the debt limit. And if you believe that, then i got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. That uh, is just another. There, there won't be any default. The government has plenty of cash for the time being. Mm-hmm. But what, what he is doing is, and again, they've been doing it, what I call the Democratic Chorus. That's on all the Democrats in Congress and the White House and in, in the House of Representatives and all the media um, outlets, um, the big ones, NBC, CBS, CNN, that support them. That's just what they do. They're playing politics with this and trying to get the American people to rise up and go after Congress and all those kinds of things. But like I said, more than 60% of the American people are basically support the Republican point of view. 
which is yes, let's do raise the debt limit, but at the same time, let's come up with a concrete plan to cut federal government spending, slow down the growth of that debt, then stop the growth of that debt, and then start paying it off. That's what the Republicans in the House want to do, and it's pretty much what the American people want to do. Right. And I, I think there are some tactics here, and I'm going to probably consolidate several of these questions because um, they basically ask your opinion on things. So they, they're in the same vein. So hold on while I, I go through these. Okay. So Sierra's asking, she said um, her dad said it was more like a, a shakedown and a practice for a lockdown. And the next two kind of go along with that. It's you know, the president is allowing this and not allowing that. For example, here, um, Sierra asked, what do you think about the president allowing a pro-illegal immigration rally on the mall while they are blocking the World War II and Vietnam um, memorials? And then also uh, Tara says, and what do you think of Obama keeping the golf course open on Andrews Air Force Base while closing the commissionary and BX causing the military to have to purchase food items? Um, at a 30% increase off base. So those are all along the same lines that, you know, we as an American uh, public are noticing these things, and they seem very, you know, calculated, if you will. I mean, what do you play chess? I know. Um, but don't, doesn't it seem like they're just very calculated moves here causing oh, yes, us to be upset? Yes, without question, you're you're exactly right, and we did address that uh, somewhat last week. But there are basically two dimensions of of communication discourse uh, where government is concerned, and one of those dimensions is truth, and you might add justice justice to that truth and justice. The other dimension is politics, and all of the questions that you just asked reflect on the part of the White House. It's the president and his office of management and budget in the White House uh, decide what's going to close and what's going to stay open. And, and when you get to what happened with veterans attempting to block them out, yet you allow this march for immigration reform, uh, you know, then these folks are political allies of the president of the Democratic Party. Well, that goes beyond the difference between truth and politics. That is just pure hypocrisy. Uh, without question, and you're not going to hear much about this in the liberal media, and probably about 75% of the American people watch, the, they get their news, if they get the news at all, from the liberal media. So, and, you know, this really difficult and very frustrating uh, for people well, who really do love the Constitution and right. really do understand the problems and see these hypocrisies being played out. It's very frustrating for us because we don't have the voice that they do. Exactly. Yeah, and, and Jack um, here is posing and said, I recently saw a poll on Fox that said 60% of the American people blame the Republican for the American, for the government um, partial shutdown. Actually, um, I have a, a brand new Gallup poll uh, in front of me, and let me tell you what I see. Um, uh, the first question is this. We'll get this one out of the way. Do you personally view the shutdown as a crisis, as a major problem, as a minor problem, or not a problem at all? Only 21% uh, 
call it a crisis, 49% major problem. Okay, those are not really big numbers. I'm, and 8% of the American people say it's not a problem, and I'm always happy to be in a minority like that because I'm one of those 8%. But now when you get down to who's to blame, according to this Gallup poll, 57% blame President Obama, 61% blame Republicans in Congress. That's almost no difference at all, 4%. So unlike what the media predicted, the blame uh, on President Obama and and on and they're leaving the Senate out and on the House House Republicans is negligible. The American mm-hmm. people are blaming both. And I think as time goes by and when people see that re, the, the Republicans in the House, John Boehner, have asked for compromise, they have asked for negotiations, they have asked for a conference committee of senators and, and representatives to sit down and work problems out, not only with um, the Affordable Care Act, but with cutting federal government spending in general. We just cannot continue to do that. At some point, we're going to have to sit down and cut it because the day will come, like it did in Greece and Italy and Spain and several other European countries, where we can no longer pay the money we owe. And then there's going to be real austerity and real pain felt throughout this country. So uh, you know, when somebody tells you that everybody's blaming the republic, and they tried to do that in 1995, and it worked pretty well in 1995, but polls show it was the same. They blamed Clinton just as much as they did uh, the Republican Congress. Both houses were uh, Republicans then. But a difference is, and this is, this is what American people need to see and understand, is that in 1995, President Clinton sat down with Bob Dole, the majority leader of the Senate, and Newt Gingrich, the Speaker of the House at that time. He sat down with them every day, and they cut government spending. They, they came up with a radical reform of welfare, federal welfare spending. And it was uh, very positive, and it worked. And they ended up with a budget surplus, first one that had been seen since before the Great Depression. Because they talked, well, this president, the one we have now, refuses. He called John Boehner yesterday and let him know he was not going to negotiate on anything, period. The only way you and I are going to get along is you drop your demands and pass the continuing resolution. Now he's going to say the same thing. He's saying the same thing about the debt. This president is not showing the leadership that the Constitution requires of him. He should be leading the solution to this problem, federal spending, national debt. And he is making no effort to do it, just playing pure politics. All right. Well, when we come back, um, we've got a couple more questions, and uh, we'll take those in just a minute. What happens when you learn about the fabulous facts of American history? Add notable presidential events and a good measure of the U.S. Constitution? Well, you get a history class that is informative and has no rival. See 64 hours of video taught by AP-level instructor and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson, or recorded with a live audience. 
Now available on demand on your time, you can view this class from the comfort of your own home. This video course comes with instruction, handouts, and the tools you need for a high school level course that can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Especially designed for the homeschool audience and published and produced by Media Angels, a company you have learned to trust with the goal of excellence in education. Need more information? Sure. Go to MediaAngels.com or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and order your set today. Your kids will thank you. Okay, welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz and I'm the moderator of Current Issues in the Constitution. And today I am speaking with Professor Wilson, who is our host. And and Professor, um, we've got a question here about constitutional limits. Uh, what are the constitutional limits of executive order? It seems Obama and many others have gone way past what is authorized. Please comment and, if possible, reference to specific executive orders that you think are appropriate and which ones are not. So I know we don't probably have enough time in this uh, remaining 30 minutes of, of this show to go through all of them, but are there any that you can call to mind, um, you know, which I'm sure you can, that Obama has overstepped his, his bounds? Well, let's just talk about the last one. Uh, you know, executive orders are not in the Constitution. It's something that basically became precedent. Uh, it was found to be necessary that every time there was a problem, you couldn't go running to Congress, that the president has a responsibility of carrying out the law. And when there is any kind of difficulty or complication, instead of going back to Congress for six months or a year to work out the complication, um, you know, if it, if it is not uh, clearly making an unconstitutional executive order, then the president should issue that executive order to take care of that problem. And you could go all the way back and find that every American president has made several executive mm -hmm. orders. Now, and frequently, like in a time like this, when the two sides, the Democrats and Republicans in Washington, D.C., are so completely polarized. I mean, there is, there is um, virtual hatred there uh, between mm -hmm. the two, anger, animosity. Uh, then, of course, the opposing side will always shout um, executive order unconstitutional no matter what it is. But uh, the recent one where uh, Congress passed the law, uh, whether we like it or not, the Affordable Care Act, and the president signed it. As a matter of fact, it quickly went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld the law as unconstitutional. And that's a pretty, again, a frustrating thing when the United States Supreme Court says that an entitlement program is constitutional because it simply is not constitutional mm -hmm. under the Tenth right. Amendment. Nonetheless, uh, as they began to prepare to implement the Affordable Care Act, apparently, and I don't know what it was, nobody uh, has put this information out, but apparently the president got a lot of phone calls from big businesses and small businesses, and businesses started laying workers off, and they started reducing their status from full-time employee to temporary. Uh, some businesses closed down, and uh, unemployment rates started inching up again. And apparently these folks, they're the brain trust, they called the White House and um, many of them made big contributions to the president 
and persuaded him to give them a break for one year. So they got a waiver, and they do not have to participate in Affordable Care Act. Okay, so the president made a radical change in a piece of legislation passed by Congress and signed by him and approved by the Supreme Court. That executive order is clearly, you can't say it's unconstitutional, but you can say it is completely unethical. And in a sense, you can. Well, as a matter of fact, if you go to Article 2 and look at the duties of the president, the president's job is to carry out the law, and nowhere does it say change the law. Nobody says the president can change the law, especially a big thing like that, having mm-hmm. big and small business participate. But And, you know, I waited and I wondered, is, is there a representative anywhere in the House, some Republican that is just fed up that that submits an article of impeachment to the Judiciary Committee of the House. Well, it never happened. Republicans are completely silent on that. We've heard about it in the media a little bit, but we haven't seen any legislative action take place at all. When a president breaks the law, is that not grounds for impeachment? Well, certainly it is. But right. we're not hearing it. I think, and again, Republicans in the House probably made a political move. They were scared to death that it would backfire. They would lose the next election. So it's a political decision not to hold the president accountable. So what's going to have to happen is, you know, this president um, has a little over two years to go. And in the election of 2016, the American people will have to change the government because that's not going to happen uh, with this with this Congress and with this president. Yeah, it just seems like we we have this big stalemate, and you know everything that gets um, blamed in the in the uh, regular media, mainstream media, you keep hearing that Tea Party, Tea Party, Tea Party word, and um, you know it seems like the people who are the Tea Party would be the ones asking for this, and yet you don't hear anything from them either, or they're not getting the press that they were getting, because it seemed at one point that as a movement, it really was becoming effective, and then it's like someone got to them as well, you know. um, Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. um, if you are following current events religiously, especially uh, unless you're watching the liberal media, um, but if you uh, have conservative sources of the news, you would notice that um, both President Obama and Harry Reid, the majority leader of the Senate, have both mentioned the Tea Party Republicans in the House of Representatives. Uh, so right. it is still there, and it is a very powerful force. As a matter of fact, it was the Tea Party. Everybody agrees, political analysts agree, it was the Tea Party that made the difference in the election of 2010 and took away the Democratic majority and gave it to Republican Republicans. So these are, these are not the not the majority, not the whole thing uh, certainly, and probably not the majority. But these are Tea, Repu- tea Party Republicans that are pushing uh, this government spending and. Um, and repeal or delay of the Affordable Care Act. That's where it's coming from. 
And um, okay. yeah, and, and again, I don't I don't know if we talked about this last week or not, but that's what these these Republican representatives were elected to do. They were elected to get federal spending and the national debt under control. They were elected to find some way to defeat the Affordable Care Act. They're doing what their constituents back home in their states and their districts elected them to do. And the Democrats, both in the House, more importantly in, in, in the Senate, because that's where they have the majority, that's what they're doing as well. They're representing the people who elected them. And those are the people who get some benefit from the entitlement programs or other federal right. grants, which are just hundreds of billions of dollars uh, going to all over the place. And that's how that's how Democratic senators get reelected, bringing home the money, bring home the money. Um, right. So yeah, the Tea Party Republicans are there. They are visible. They are active. They are very conservative. They are very uh, like the Tea Party. Um, it's about the Constitution. They want the Constitution enforced. They want us to live by the Constitution and not by political expediency. And they want the debt under control. They want to eliminate the annual deficit that Congress runs and get America back on a fiscal and sound footing. They're also, they also want to see free market and economic growth. We've got 11% unemployment rate. And they want to yeah, see that back yeah, down to four and a half percent, like it was back in 1995, or excuse me, 2005 or 2006. So they're they're right. very visible, very active. Okay, a uh, couple more questions here. Anne wants to know um, what happens if Obama will not or continues to not negotiate. What will be the solution? I doubt that there would be anybody. Uh, anybody that could bring the sides together. That's the president's job. Now, read Article 2 of the Constitution. It's his job to lead. And when there is any problem or any conflict, especially in government or in the military, it's his job to step in and do something about it, the way Bill Clinton did back in 1995, the way every president, Ronald Reagan did it, uh, George Bush did it, the way every president ha has done Call the sides together and understand. President Bauman needs to understand that the House of Representatives is important. It's more important than the Senate. It's more important than the president because those are the ladies and gentlemen who were elected by the people to represent their interests, what they need, what they want. And I get the sense that Harry Reid and President Obama have, in their my, hearts and minds, have minimized the House of Representatives to the point where they seem to believe that the House is not important, just a little yapping attack dog and nothing more that needs to be swatted away. So if, if the President of the United States does not take the initiative to solve this problem, in order to solve it, he knows he's going to have to make some concessions. He's going to have to give. And I don't know. I don't know why he won't do it. May I think he's just afraid, because the American people have turned against the Affordable Care Act, what he loves to call Obamacare. 
and he is afraid that if they sit down together and begin to negotiate, then they're going to start tearing down his only accomplishment so far as president. That's you know, it's just guessing from sitting here following the news at my computer every day. Uh, that that is just my conclusion. Right. He is afraid of what will happen to his signature act if he allows negotiations or mediation or compromise or anything like that. So, right. good question, yeah. and what will happen? I confess, if the president does not step forward and show some leadership, I'm not sure what will happen. And I heard the second part of your question is, do you think this is a smart political move? You know, if we take away all, uh, she didn't say on whose side. You know, I don't know, I don't know if that's the right uh, word to use in a question. Smart move. Um, is it the right move? Uh, and I think we're talking about Republicans, House Republicans, demanding uh, spending limits and uh, addressing the national debt. If that's what we're talking about as right. being a smart move or a political move, um, is it the right move? And, you know, we've been, I've been watching this my whole life, and it just is so frustrating to see government, the entire government, Republicans and Democrats going all the way back, behaving in what clearly is an unconstitutional manner, passing laws on issues setting up policies on issues that are reserved by the Constitution to the states in the first place. Now, why why didn't somebody clear back in the 1950s say, oh, hold on, hold your horses, we're going in the wrong direction here. Uh, we can't expand this thing anymore. In fact, we got to cut it. It's against the Constitution. Somebody should have done that a long time ago, but instead, Republicans and Democrats both have enjoyed re-election after re-election because they bring the money home. It's called bringing home the bacon right. uh, from clear back before the Civil War. That's how they get reelected. And Republicans have been guilty. Democrats have been guilty for decades and decades. Well, now we've got a new breed in the House of Representatives, and it's called the Tea Party, Tea Party Republicans. And, of course, Democrats and their uh, media attack dogs have done their best to discredit the Tea Party movement and have even called them racist and unconstitutional and they should be illegal and all of this. All right. Woody, hold on. Do explain a little bit more about the Tea Party because uh, a young man by the name of Jake is asking what exactly is the Tea Party. Okay, so the Tea Party is, mentioning is, them. The Tea Party is a grassroots political movement. That means it didn't start in Washington, D.C. or in uh, or in Charleston, West Virginia, or New York City, it started amongst the people. People got together, and they were just, It really. I think they were motivated mainly. I don't think. I know they were motivated mainly by the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And, again, another entitlement program. So a lot of very conservative Americans, and I'm one of them. I'm Tea Party, okay? Um, we see the Constitution being swept aside. 
We see expansion of entitlement programs when the debt is already almost out of control. We see a government that, to them, these things, Social Security, uh, Medicaid, welfare, they're, they're sacred cows not to be touched because that's their reelection. You know, that, that's how they get reelected. They do not want to cut spending because then they can't take, uh, they can't give out the federal grants to to the um, universities, to city councils, to counties, to states, to medical groups and environmental groups and Planned Parenthood and all the people who want to have a, want everybody to have abortions. They, it just all came together in 2010. And what emerged were groups of people that, and I, you know, I really don't know, uh, maybe I should look and see, but I think what happened is that frequently they had these meetings, these rallies, town halls, thousands of people would show up, and they were waving the American flag, and some of them dressed up like um, Continental soldiers. And um, we began to refer to them as Tea Party. But, you know, as far as Tea Party groups are concerned, they've always, there have been Tea Party groups for many decades, and they've both basically been anti-tax, anti-tax. But this expanded and became not just anti-tax, but anti-federal government spending, anti-entitlement programs, anti-runaway debt, and all of those kinds of things that congealed into basically one political movement. And we saw a lot of that back in the 1960s, like the Civil Rights Movement. Well, this is a different kind of movement, pro-Constitution, anti-runaway government. And they, they really, they really, the catalyst was right there in the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2009. And they really showed up and they began to organize and meet and demonstrate and vote. And they basically came, this resulted in the biggest turnaround of the majority in the House of Representatives that we have seen in the 20th century. The number of Democrats that were thrown out and Republicans replacing them was just huge. So they became a very strong political force, and this doesn't usually happen, a grass movement, a grassroots movement starting at the local levels becoming huge and so influential. But that did happen with the Tea Party. And it looks like they're here to stay. And um, I think that the only the only thing I can see is America is going to benefit uh, the people that are spending all the money. They're spending a trillion dollars a year more than they have running that kind of deficit. I think the Tea Party will ultimately hold their feet to the fire. I think they'll uh, the American people once they and that, that's one of the strategies we talked about last week is that Republicans in the House wanted to raise the issue to national attention. Well, they sure did that. And uh, so the American people are watching, the American people are listening, the American people are learning what's been going on in Washington, D.C. And I think you're going to see the Tea Party or Tea Party support and Tea Party sentiment. I think you're going to see an expansion in that. And I think we're already seeing it insofar as large majorities are opposed to Obamacare and... The, the people, you know, if you ask them, you know, who who's responsible for the 
standoff that we have right now, the slim down, the partial shutdown, whatever you want to call it. And we see that uh, the president and the House of Representatives uh, gets equal attention. So I hope that answers the question. That's where the what the Tea Party is. We've we've had a bunch of them uh, right. over the, over the last 230 years. There've been a lot of grassroots movements, and this is the latest and perhaps the greatest. Well, I just have to I guess keep encouraging them. Okay, so uh, there was a clarification on. Do you think that's a good political move? Um, it was in in the regard of not impeaching. Obama. So, you know, do you think that they're, uh, I'm sure that they're aware that, um, right. you know, that the president has crossed the line and they know that that would be something they could do. But do you think that in particular, I guess, is what the question is, is a political move on their part? Okay, it yeah, that seems like that, it, would, it would help them instead of hinder. Okay, that is an astute question. Uh, that, that's an excellent question. And, and yes, uh, um, I think it is a very good political move because right now the subject is the national debt. Right now the subject is profligate spending by the mm -hmm. United States government. Don't change the subject. As soon as somebody submits an, 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 an a, a impeachment petition to the Judiciary Committee, well, the subject changes. Now we're going to focus on that. We're going to forget all about the national debt and the Affordable Care Act and overspending by the government. It may be that once this whole thing is settled, if there is an amicable settlement that pleases both sides and we actually cut federal spending and we finally get a budget and we do raise the debt limit but with conditions of cuts in federal spending, then maybe the House will take a look at impeachment. Okay. So um, yeah, Jake has, we do, those, those guys do that all the time. It's political, political, political. Truth versus politics. Very good, very good, Ann. Um, okay, Steve wanted to know. Um, I, I think you've stirred the pot here. What can we do? So he wants to know, as a young man, what what is it that we can do? I think right now, um, in the immediate sense you need to write a letter to your congressman and to your two state senators. And you need to persuade many other people to do that also. Also, go online and you know, it's go to United States Congress and click on House. You'll get a list of all the representatives and their email addresses. Um, they, um, I'll tell you this, though. You know, every email that comes to them, they, they keep track of it. They want to know what their constituents are saying because, again, um, I think most of them, Democrats and Republicans, are really good people that really have, that really hold their constituents, the people that elected them, in, in, in great esteem, and they want to represent them, honestly. Uh, West Virginia has a senator that doesn't feel that way, uh, but hopefully uh, that is not your problem. So email them, yes, and uh, they'll have people on their staff that are keeping tracks of what you're saying. But what they take far more seriously is a letter with a postage stamp on it. Mm -hmm. So write them a letter, email them, email them every day, tell them what you want them to do, remind them that they work for you. That, you know, you're not in charge of us, we're in charge of you. 
uh, do it in a polite and courteous manner. You might open up that way. Then tell them what you want them to do on the debt, on federal spending, on the Affordable Care Act. Just list, make it brief. You don't, don't go into like a three or four page detail. Two thirds of a page is plenty. And persuade friends to do that as well. A letter writing campaign um, in your state and in your district. So in the immediate sense, that's what you can do to make an immediate difference. Other things you can do are down the road. Come election time next year, get involved in campaign for somebody that you think will represent your political values and your goals. So right. that that's a sort of get started yeah. type of thing. But by all means, all of all of you, whether you're for or against the initiative we're seeing from the House Republicans, write to your senators and congressmen and let them know what you want them to do. Okay. And we have a, a question that is, um, I think, a little bit off topic, but um, I would like to ask this as we're winding up here. Um, is there a clause problem when private establishments and homes on federal lands are closed at great cost and loss to the individual as they still you know, have to pay their insurance, mortgage, rent, and other items? Yes. Uh, that I was, um, you know, be, to be quite honest, I did not know that there were private homes on federal land. I, I know that, that there are, are, well, yeah, okay, ranchers and oil men and so on that are allowed to lease land that that is uh, it's not federal land it's public land it belongs to the people uh, the feds think it belongs to them but actually it belongs to all of us and I heard just two or three days ago that families were evicted from their homes that were on public land the federal government told them to get out I don't understand that at all I would like to know more about that and uh, I'm going to keep my eye open for more information but how does that save any money? Uh, that's not saving money at all. It's like closing the national monuments. Um, it didn't need to be done. It's just an attempt to make the people angry, and hopefully they'll blame the Republicans. But um, if anybody has any information of that or knows where I can get information, I'd love to have that. Um, okay. Well, that came from Tara, so maybe she can share some more. And then she had a second part here. Also, why did Governor Jan Brewer of Arkansas um, ask permission to run the parks in her state instead of telling the feds she was going to or is she prohibited in some way? You know, I had the same question, and that's um, Arizona. Uh, Jan Brewer has, uh, you know, she's just basically been anti-Obama. Uh, do you remember seeing that famous photograph where Obama goes out there to visit and the question was immigration? Arizona passed an immigration bill and the, and uh, the president was opposed to it. So he goes out there and gets off the plane and she's got her finger in his chest lecturing him before he can get off the tarmac. Uh, so she's a, a real firebrand who believes in state sovereignty. And um, I, when, when I heard that... Uh, she took that approach with the president, I was very, very surprised that she wasn't like she was two or three years ago when he came to Arizona and got a finger in his chest in a lecture. I was a little surprised with that. 
Okay, well, that's interesting. So I guess that will remain a mystery, but um glad you guys are both on the same page. <laughs> oh, gosh. And next week, right. I have no doubt, we'll be talking about the national debt and the debt limit. Yeah, So, and I, th- we'll- I think these are better topics anyway, and we'll just get to some of those topics as they uh, – we'll put it this way, if, if there's a slow um, – a slow day in the national news or international news, we'll get to those topics. And I think everybody's really happy right. that you're, you know, really giving us some some cause to go back and look at the Constitution. And I'm really happy to hear, you know, the young man that said, what can I do? And I hope that all the other people listening are fired up and, uh, you know, will help start letter writing campaigns and at least um, get some awareness going you know, I know that in general the American people are very upset, but I feel that, you know, it's just um, the same thing happening when people were losing their jobs and everybody was frozen. They just didn't know how to react. Well, we need to have something in place, and I think the letter writing campaign at least is a place to start where we can do something. So I really appreciate that young man's uh, question and uh yeah, that was uh, yeah. I was like you. I was tickled to death to hear that. And let me tell you, uh, tens of millions of letters and emails uh, have flown to Washington D.C. within the last three weeks. So let's uh, let's all join in. I already have, and I hope you will too. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Wilson, for this class, and uh, we look forward to next week. So see you on Tuesday at one o'clock. The pleasure was all mine, and I'll be looking forward to one week from today. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.